We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hi, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Neil Collins. Neil is a current player for Tampa Bay Rowdies. He's been a professional for 16 years, originally from Scotland, played three years at Sunderland in the Premier League, and has also played for Wolves, Sheffield United, Preston, and Leeds. Uh, he's coming to the end of his playing career, so he's already preparing for the next steps. He's got a great blog, Journeyman's View, um, on his website, neilcollins.com. Uh, he, he blogs about, writes about coaching, playing, parenting, leadership, uh, and was up at the recent convention in Philadelphia where I caught up with him and sat down for uh, for this podcast. So I've called it the value of an open mind for a reason, and in Modern Soccer Coach, what we're trying to do is get people thinking a little bit deeper about the game and questioning things that maybe the media or maybe society or maybe just the game in general has us programmed to cert- to think in a certain way. And I just loved, loved sitting down with Neil and hearing about his insights. And from an Irishman, Roy Keane and Mick McCarthy, that whole Saipan incident and how we we kind of took it's, it divided families and divided friends and, and there's plenty of arguments still going on with me and my friends about you know, who was wrong or who, who thought what or who could have done another thing. And Neil has had the privilege of playing with both Keane and McCarthy and was actually the reason why they, they almost reconciled their differences for his transfer. So hearing his views on that, hearing his views on his open-mindedness on, on those two managers, his open-mindedness on ex-pros, his view of high school soccer, his view of the physical side of the game, his view of Joe Cole, his view on parenting, his view on competition, goes way, way further than just simple generalizations. And that's what I that's what I think we should be doing with the game. So hopefully you'll enjoy this. Like I said, the, the Roy Keane part for me was, was absolutely brilliant. Neil's very, very active on Twitter, so give him a follow. Give us a shout out on Twitter. Twitter still trying to promote the podcast in all ways we can. So I appreciate you listening and enjoy. Neil, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, a pleasure. First convention. First convention and it's yeah. been uh, very good. Yeah. Would you get this in UK? Would you? No. No, I think this is where we could probably learn something in the UK. I think it's fantastic to have coaches from all levels together. Um, people presenting, people talking, talking in the bar afterwards. Mm. I think that's what it, what it's all about. You've got all the companies here selling equipment and trips, and I just think it's, I think it's fantastic. Something that I think if I'm going to be in the states, I'm going to be coming to hopefully every year yeah. for a long time to come. So we just before us, why I grabbed my phone and started recording. You were talking about the coffees after training at Tampa Bay, at, in the value of informal football, like coaching education doesn't have to be formalized or you think that that's not really in our nature over here or that's something that we can you know have grabbing a coffee between teammates just BSing about what's going on in the game did you watch this did you watch that how is the question how do you generate that that's a very good question and I don't know if you can 
generate it, it's something definitely worth thinking about. I found that there's players and people that gravitate towards each other because the conversation, they seem to just want to talk about football, they've got common ground, they like to discuss all manner of things, whether it be teams that they supported, teams they watched, games they've watched, players they've played with, managers they've played with. And I found it very similar on um, doing my UFA licence and B licence. The courses were fantastic, but some of the things I learned best were in, in between sessions, having a coffee with someone that I didn't know, talking about manager that he's maybe played for or player that he's coached. And I think that's invaluable and that's something that even at this convention hasn't really been discussed, which is probably an important part. People don't, you know, that's where relationships are made and forged and sometimes coaching staffs can be put together just by common bonds. So I think it's definitely something that people can't maybe quite put their finger on. It's something to something to think about. Your experience in the game, massive, been to a lot of clubs, uh, two kind of different cultures, two different societies. You didn't play in an academy growing up? No, I didn't. And um, now the as you've noticed a few academies are starting to, to, clo to close and mm. I actually think it's come full circle and I think it could prove to be a great thing. I think right. some of the academies are fantastic. Probably one, one of the things I benefited most from, um, I, think it, I think it might have been one of your podcasts, was it pre premature professionalism someone mentioned, it might have been Michael Cameron or other, and that's what I think I'd benefit because I didn't have that. I wasn't brought up in this culture where everything was given. So when I arrived at Sunderland at 20 years old, I was so blown away by this training ground. It was amazing. It pools, tennis courts for head tennis, a gym, all these grass pitches, Lucas aids in a cupboard. I was like, this is fantastic. Couldn't wait. And I was in with the younger players and a lot of them were moaning. They'd become institutionalised almost by, this is what we expect, this is what we get off. Why are you coming here? Don't come here. And I'm thinking, this is Sunderland Football Club. If you'd seen where I've came from, we train sometimes round the side of the field on an ash, just running. And all of a sudden now, I'm out with Mick McCarthy playing. So, yes, I, I think the 14 to kind of 18, 19, not being in the academy, while, while it was disappointing at 14, 15, proved to be the making of me. Now that's not the case for everyone, but I think for those people that are on the periphery, maybe not the top, top, top young players, but the peripheral players, Sometimes it gives them that extra incentive or that more, a bit more desire to try and make it. That's the like desire, motivation. You're you're losing that then by throwing too much at. Like we we compare about. This, this is the thing I'm always interested in. Like watching that documentary, the the recent one. No hunger in paradise. No hunger in paradise. Talking about giving them the money too early, but are we giving them the luxuries too early? The like. The world's perfect. I, I, I would complain about that over here when you go and watch a club game, and especially the, the tournaments that they have. Brilliant, different class. A kickoff, but if it's a, it's a 10 o'clock game, it's almost like it's on TV. 10, bing, the whistle goes. Um, coaches are straight lines. The balls are perfect. No one has, like, remember how, you know, has anyone played with a flat ball in this country? You know, like, we just got on with it. If a ball's flat on a youth game over here, they'll stop, the, like, the players won't kick it anymore. <laughs> Are we, we're also losing motivated, inspired, there must be a relationship between them. I agree, I think, um, I maybe wrote my blog about this, in that the environment's too sterile, 
it's too linear, it's just too all the way and, and the, the, the expectancy from the players is this will just carry on, carry on. Then one day it won't carry on because you then have to go and earn your living doing it. Uh -huh. People's livelihoods are at stake, managers, coaches and stuff, and the results matter and people care. So I couldn't agree more and, and in my short time here I've been involved in a high school soccer team and there's a lot of bad things said about high school soccer but you know what, I think it's more realistic because of the different environments you go and play in, the pride of playing for your school, the people that come to watch, then, then, then the club, when the club's got a place, of course it does, but they've both got a place, and I, I couldn't agree anymore, playing on perfect pitches is nice, but that should be for when you go to Wembley, Yeah. not 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 every every day of your life, Yeah. you know, um, so the, the, these are things that I think definitely, but are they going to change, maybe not, maybe we need to change as coaches or as, as people that are going into coaching and look at how we can still give them that yeah I, I don't know just that show I watched watched it the other day and it was there was a thing on Stevie Gerrard talking about well you know when does the, the are these kids kind of overprotected when does the penny drop and he was just casually I thought he was great like Stevie Gerrard kind of and Rio have come into this nice little position of talking about how hard it is to become a professional I really respect that but the way he said like you know, the penny drops with some of them, maybe in five years or so. Is there a way to, you know, in the process of academies to, is there a hunger mode? Is there an inspiration mode? Or is that just something we're gonna have to accept that people will interpret in different ways? I mean, so you look at yourself and your own like, kind of like journey and think, did I always have that in me, that motivation? Or was it something that happened? I suspect from an early age, I always wanted to be a professional. But a lot of other kids wanted to be professionals, but it's how much do you want to be a professional? I get a lot of not, um, I, I went from being one of the kind of better players at 12, 13, to then not quite growing, so 14, 15 getting discarded. And I look at that as a real, real critical point, because I think that gave me the real determination to prove these people wrong. I felt I'd been, I felt I'd been wronged, um, because it was at that point in time. And you know at that age, things are all, they're changing all the time. So I really felt I'd been wronged, and, and the desire I had, I look back now and I actually kind of gasp at it. I was be out, I'd just be out running, I'd be out working on things. I just had an insatiable appetite to try and make myself better, and mm -hmm. I do think that that was probably my will to, to do it, made it, because when I was at university, playing for Dumbarton part-time, I remember people asking me, what's your aims, what are you going to do? I said, oh, well, hopefully playing the Premiership. What an idiot. You know what I mean? I'm at university, I'm playing for the Martin part time. People must have had a right good laugh uh -huh. behind my back. But within two or three years, I went to Sunderland and we got promoted from the Championship to the Premiership. So I kind of look back and think, wow, that was quite brazen and quite yeah. arrogant in a way. But I just had such a belief, and I'm sure a lot of people that you speak to that have, that have done anything in the game have probably had that, that similar drive. It's funny because there's, there's always two sides to a story or a different angle and, and in, in especially at a conference like this where there's thousands of coaches we're all trying to spin it and somewhere somewhere there's a recruitment officer taking credit for your move from this level because it wasn't like your it wasn't a linear move like you didn't play for Rangers Celtic and then go to Sunderland so you've jumped from that level to Premier League level what did they see in you yeah, again, I mean, and I've got no problem with some people taking credit because there's people that do deserve credit. It's a, it's a, it's a mixed bag. Mm. Like you've got your, your, your parents, huge, huge influence. They gave me a lot of belief. But then you've got coaches that people that gave me a debut at 17 at Queen's Park, 
David Winnie that's signing the Barn. They obviously see something. I think Mick McCaffrey, big manager, managing the World Cup, what he had over some to Scottish Premier League clubs at the time that overlooked me was he was willing to look through his own eyes. Mm. It wasn't about my reputation as why is no one else taking him? Because that's what a lot of coaches do. It's all easy to like the same player, yeah. isn't it? Mm. He just seen me, watched me in training, he could see I was good in the air, which is big in England, aggressive, um, you know, good presence. I could play it, you know, it wasn't as if I couldn't kick the ball. I was so he obviously seen something that could mould and he's done that with a lot, a lot of players, Mick McCaffrey. Uh, players that are rough edges and he's smoothed them off and sold them. So these people deserve an awful lot of credit. So they just seen they, they obviously seen certain aspects and I think one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had is be very good at something. Don't need to be good at everything, but be very good at something and that probably made my name from being good in the air and being able to head the ball. So not glamorous but true. But then in signing for Mick McCarthy, obviously then seeing something in you People see people are people are drawn towards qualities that they might have themselves. It's funny that that's someone that that's he's he's a centre back. He's aggressive. Uh, listen to podcasts with him, Irishman Abroad podcast with Mike McCarthy. He listened to it yesterday in the gym. Here he's a very interesting guy. I was speaking to someone yesterday about him, and I was saying that he's someone that Mike is very underestimated because of his gruff Yorkshireman stereotype. Very, I can count on one hand the amount of times that he lost lost his temper. He was always very measured. Mm. Um, during the week, his he's training in terms of getting prepared for the game was the best. That's why he was successful in that, that level. So, yeah, yeah, very, you know, very, very interesting. And again, someone that the reputation is very good in, in amongst the game. And yeah. All people know he's very good, but outside, people just underestimate him. And Stay on that. All right, let's talk about bias. Let's talk about like he's 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 rough centre back. He's not going to be with a with a Versace jacket on him and a big watch and all that there. So he's going to be like there's a well funny clip of him. He's the one on the bench where he raises his eyebrows. Yes, and he's like, yeah. That's him. That's him in a nutshell. <laughs> um, so there's more of a human side to him, which is oh. a player you're going to appreciate. But as the media, they don't they don't want that there. Again, it's something probably these courses that we don't probably talk enough about is that two teams I played for Michael Sunderland and Wolves, and those players at both of those clubs would run through a big wall for him. They would follow him. Uh-huh. If he jump how high, and you wanted to do it for him, so that's a human yeah. thing that players want to do for him because they respect him, they believe in what he's doing, um, the job he's doing at Ipswich is not a great side, mm. but he's got them punching way above their weight, and I bet if you ask those players. They would, they were willing to go to war for him. Um, so yes, it's again, you know, you get the suit on and you have a fancy name. People look, sometimes look at you differently. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. Uh, than, than people see. Well, he was. It was funny because the podcast is the guy's actually asking him about Jack Charlton, and he's saying, "Well, Jack put him under pressure, squeeze the pitch," and he was talking about did Jack not get the the. You know the angle of the conversation was: Did Jack not get the credit he deserved? What would he be? What would he be like now? Well, Jack Charlton wasn't a glamorous coach. Mick McCarthy now, and what stood out to me: Never once kind of put himself in the same bracket for having not been appreciated for a coach. Whereas, if you couldn't 
I'm a massive Mourinho fan. You couldn't have that conversation with Mourinho without Mourinho going, but what about me? I don't get the credit, do you know? So the level of humility, how does he do it every day? The, the motivation that players run through brick walls, how does he do it every day? Because he, because of the, the good things, the old school principles that people seem to just talk about old school in a negative way with old school principles. Uh, not cool anymore. Not cool anymore. Modern soccer this. coach. It's this thing where that once, oh, you know, he is a modern. He's modern in a way that he turns up every day. He's organised, organised as in he's got a plan, and it's the relentless nature. And he gets in people that he knows have that interest, that motivation inside of them. You can see it. You can see people that are hungry. You can see people that want it. Not people that he will put their hand around. I mean, he knows there's a time for that, but not someone that he has to put a hot rod up on every time. It's just so he gets those people. And he gets people out that are not like that. Yeah. He builds that culture, and you know what it's like when you've got three or four or five players that are all really eager to learn. They feed up each other. At Wolverhampton, it was unbelievable. We had about 10, 12 players between the ages of 21, 25. Doing extra was normal. If you didn't do it, you were looked upon as well. Look at this guy. He's not in the gym. He's not out in the training pitch working on his his pace. He's, it was it was such an intense environment. What, what players are we talking here? You're talking so likes of Matt Jarvis, yeah. uh, who he ended up selling for seven million to West Ham. Matt Jarvis was a good player, very quick, but they just worked on what he was good at and really took him up to a high level of being great one-on-one winger. Yeah. Michael Kiteley, yeah. George Ellicobie, who he took from Colchester, turned him in and played in the Premier League. Yeah. Sam Vokes, who's went on to play in the Premiership. You know, if you asked any of these players, and Mick McAfee and Terry Connor, who's assistant, yeah. he's fantastic. Fantastic one-on-one coach with players making them better. Richard Stearman, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of really good players that have all enjoyed long careers. Mm. Then you go to Roy Keane. Yeah, but... I couldn't have this, I'm a massive, massive Roy Keane fan. Completely different way of managing. Um, Standoffish, was there a, was there a, is there a warmth, there's a question I want to ask, is there a warmth to Roy Keane that that's that's just he doesn't give to the media. Is there behind the scenes where you're like, he's actually a bit different. He's all right. Hundred percent. Roy Keane was my hero growing up. Like big Manchester United fan. Roy Keane, my hero. So when I went to say for Sunderland, I was a bit, oh, McCarthy's the enemy. And obviously, quite quickly realised. So to hold them both in such high high regards, probably odd. But Roy Keane, yes, he is all the things that people sometimes think. But yeah, I, I got on a flight home from Portugal when I'd been on a trip and I was sitting next to an old couple and uh, they had to change seats so I had to go and sit beside Roy Keane and his assistant and I was, he'd only been in the job a couple of weeks. The whole flight spoke, asked me about my upbringing, my life, told a couple of stories about time, his time at Celtic. Just, just, fanta- just fantastic, you know, to, to speak with someone who was your hero like that. As a manager at times, a couple of times he made me feel a million dollars, just a million dollars again. Different to Mick, but made you want to just want to impress him. He's got this great leadership quality that you want to impress him. So he he's definitely someone that people don't know the whole package. He, he has got that ability as well to cut you in two. I would believe that. And there's no doubt about that, but that's a strength in a way. And, um, Whenever you're, what you're saying kind of there is perception, bias, we generalise as coaches, right? And the media has done that, but we've just jumped right behind it. 
the there's an attacking coach, there's the overtrainer, there's the lazy, there's the energetic, there's the happy, there's the angry, and these guys, I, I think we sell them so short in a in a coaching community that these Roy Keane does not become cannot live in a Premier League dugout without being a very complex guy that has a number of strings to his bow. What, what is he? What did he do for you as an individual player? In terms of like, did he draw? Did he speak to you about things that you needed? Things about your game? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was as much as much tactical. Um, I was only there for maybe two or three months with Roy, and um, he wanted me to stay. He, you know, he wanted me to stay, but I felt more comfortable at the time going to play with Mickey Wills. If I'd been older, I would have waited longer. But I was young and I really wanted the security of playing every week. And Roy was, was, play, was playing me right back at the time, which was great. But back to your question, he, the will to win and the mindset at Manchester United, the mindset, I think you spoke to John Curtis about this, and he just instilled that belief. Quick story, played Leeds United at Ellen Road. We beat them 3-0. We were great, fantastic. Roy Keane's second win in charge. As we come in after the game, and I think I maybe asked or someone asked what the Celtic score in the Champions League. And he said, Champions League, don't worry, that's where we'll be, that's where we're aiming for in years to come. And I kinda thought, what? <laughs> we're bot we were still at the bottom half of the championship, but he wasn't joking. And he was not joking. He thinks be the best that you can be. Why? Like, you don't want anything else that's focused on, you know, have high, high ambition. And it's great, and it's so true that we, we all sometimes can sell ourselves short, mm. thinking that you do well, get to a certain point. Accepting it. Except, yeah. yeah. Like, we'd watch Manchester United before some games, before we kicked off, and it, his team talk would be, watch Manchester United, but watch them thinking I'm going to play against them, or watch thinking I'm going to play for them. And it was so true, it was so true. So he, he pushed himself, and he obviously wanted to push. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd like to have played for him when I was a wee bit, wee bit older and a bit more experienced, but um, I'd like to see him come back into management. I think he will. You think he will? I think he will, yeah. yeah. He seems to be, there's part of him that seems to enjoy the they enjoy the media portrayed. He comes across a very funny man. Yes. Yeah, a bit of humour to him. Definitely, definitely humorous and very dry. Um, yeah, you know, very funny, and I think if you take him to see, he doesn't. The thing is, again, it's this reputation. People take him too seriously. Yeah. It's at times he wants to be taken seriously, but you could say one thing. You could you could slaughter you today. See the next day, he'll laugh about it with you. Yeah. If you're a man about it, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a man about it and you accept it, and the next day he'll laugh about it with you, and that's what I like. I like, and that's where it's quite strange that Roy Keane and Mick McCarthy don't go on because they're both men's men. Yeah. They're probably in some ways similar. You know, Roy might not like saying that, but I, I genuinely think that in some ways they're similar, not in always, um, but in some ways they're similar, so sometimes that doesn't go down well. You're credited with uh, putting them, patching <laughs> it up with your move then? Uh, yeah, there was a bit of a buzz around the training grounds when uh, someone went, you know, Mick, um, Mick McCaffrey's been on the phone to Roy Keane and I knew what it was about, cause, so that was, that was strange, mm -hmm. no strange, but I think again it showed the sign of the men that they were... They got the deal done. Yeah. You know, I, I was concerned that that might be a stumbling block, but it shows you they both they both wouldn't jeopardise something yeah. for a player that, that could that could harm them. So that was it said a lot about them both. Again, talk about their two just staying on the topic of both of them didn't overcomplicate the game. We're overcomplicating the game left, right, and centre today. 
the values you talked about the human values of Mick is there football values that we're just not putting as much emphasis on that we should be today like you talked about you being good in the air that's not glamorous over here for a, like a, for a 12 year old if you said your best attribute is you're a great header of a ball they go home and cry like, how can we change that well it's one thing I've been trying to, to, to instill um, go back to my high school the high school team I've been in one of the things I said early on was I suspect the ball's going to be in the air a lot chaps and I've watched you and they don't have an idea, any idea about how to head the ball, their technique's poor, which actually is more likely to lead to head injuries than being good at heading the ball. So we did a couple of sessions on heading the ball, really? and you know what? There's been players playing that wouldn't have played if they couldn't head the ball, and they've done fantastically well, and they've gained respect by the peers, because all of a sudden they've got a role in the team. Mm-hmm. They've hardly lost any goals, because set pieces, long free kicks, long balls, we're winning it, because they know that if they do that, they're going to play. We're going to give them praise for it. Yeah. And then even in private coaching with some 15, 16, 17-year-old centre-backs, doesn't need to be their best attribute, but it needs to be an attribute. Um, so again, again, going back to Mick and, and his, his coaching, totally, totally underestimated. I have never felt as a player more sure at winning games than it did playing in Mick McCarthy's teams because I knew we were organised and I knew that nine times out of ten we'd go press teams so hard so Mick's not um, credited with being a high press and like Jurgen Klopp is okay we maybe didn't play quite as attractive ever, but we pressed we were fit we were really fit and pressed really hard there was a game we once beat not in Forest 5-1 we were four and a half time anyone that was that day it was scintillating the pace and energy and the fitness and the, the way we played um, we won the championship quite comfortably that year so yeah there's a lot of principles and a lot of things that he does that people just totally gloss over yeah are we spending more time then with looking at the, the glamorous side of defending that there's still there's still a place like I love us there's still a place for someone to, to get up and win a ball because that's what your position that should be the, the primary goal of your position win your battles do what's necessary in the, in the defensive area how many headers does Ronaldo score a lot yeah. so he's great in the air so you need someone that can combat him in the air if a team was three minutes three minutes to go and they're defending the set piece, you need someone to head the ball. Mm-hmm. Now where 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 Spain and some of the really good teams do is they possess the ball so well, they limit these times, but still goals are scored quite quickly in the men's game because the ball can get delivered, you know, into the box and you have to and you have to defend it. I think that's where I'm very surprised. And it's slowly happened, but Harry Maguire, England International, I played with him in Sheffield. Why one of the big teams didn't come and take him earlier, which they will do this summer probably. Um, it's because of probably the way he looks. He's a big lad. People think he looks cumbersome, he's actually not. Whereas John Stones is a bit more athletic looking. I think Harry will take over John and purely on the basis of his probably physical appearance will eventually surpass him because he has probably more all round defensive qualities. Yeah. You know, so we'll see. Moving on to the American game. Yeah. Uh, you're we're talking about obviously there's a big debate here. It hasn't really settled down where we're you know, moving the national team to the next level. I think we're getting distracted with the whole presidency thing. That's just an opinion. I think we've, you we know, what's going to kick on the national team? We're talking again. We, I feel England did this just being at home a bit around. We were like, right, we'll start copying French, Spanish from playing in a, in the league over here. What do you think? The, are we maximising the, the the other aspects of the game that we should be ticking the boxes before we get to the it's a, complex area? It's a, you know, yeah, you're right. You're maybe going too complex too soon, I think. 
one thing they, they talk the game down too much here in terms of there's a lot lot of good players I think at young ages there is good players it's such a huge country a lot of good players um, they need more of a pathway I think a more clear pathway where if you're a really good 17, 18 year old you can go into the professional game earlier because that's where the learning is not so much from the coach but from playing playing the game and playing against people like the Joe Coles or your Master Schaefer's or experienced players like myself where you can learn from playing against experienced players you can't coach that I can't coach that it's a learning experience so they, they, they don't have that but I totally agree that when they probably overachieved 20-25 years ago it's because they had quite clearly defined what to be organised what to be hard to beat what to be fit so now that they've become better all round players they still don't want to lose I think so you're right I think it needs to be more simplified just two or three simple points for all the American game to try and focus on and the rest will take care of itself when you're home I bet you get asked all the time like what's what's it like in America what's the standard like how would you compare it to the level what's your answer to it um, yeah, people ask me that all the time, and I say that it's impossible to it's impossible to give you a quick answer because the culture is so different, the heat, the conditions, the environment. But I would say is don't underestimate, don't underestimate the MLS. It's improving all the time. The professional league that I'm playing in is there's really 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 good players. Um, there's clubs that could do better, but there's some really good clubs. Um, so, yeah, don't underestimate. I've got some players that want to come out here and play. Yeah. And they're way off the beam in terms of where they see themselves. Yeah. It's, it's far, far tougher than that because you've got players coming from South America, you've got players coming from all around the world. It's not just like England that they want. They want, you know, there's Brazilians, there's Uruguayans, there's Colombians, there's Mexicans. These countries have got really, really good players as well with different styles. So that's why it's not just a case of coming out here and doing what you did back home. You've got, yeah. to, you've got to have a wee bit more to your locker. The one thing we undervalue in the US when we when we see these players come over, the high-profile ones that have, you know, the Pirlo's and the, the Lampards and the Beckham's, and we look at them as like, all right, what are they doing? Or, you know, how many goals are they scoring? And you know, well, the one thing I think we undervalue is that the impact they have on young players over here so you're talking about being in a locker room with you and just chatting about you know you saying you're not at it today or the standards that you hold or being somewhere where Joe Cole's experience what what's the like what do you what do you guys shake your head at with the, with the players over here about yeah I think well I think I'm actually I think the statistics things are bad a really really bad thing I think it does harm people like your Perlows and your Beckhams because I think that as we both know there's so many other things that you can bring to a yeah. football match or a soccer match that you can't quantify with assists or goals you can bring an awful lot and as you say so the changing room things that we shake our head at um, probably a few things but particular, particularly it's not their attitude their attitude to work's good I think yeah. their attitude to clean I mean they, they're very healthy lads they eat really well um, I would probably just say that ability to try and learn the game more, to really learn the game, to talk, to talk about it, which is the easiest thing to do, is to really get, do they go home and watch football? 
whether it's the English Premier League or the, or the they've got to watch more football, not just Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Try and really learn about the game, about the, the, the um, intricacies of the game yeah. and the different players that there might be. There's so many. Don't have a right back that just bombs up and down all day as fast as anything. You get different types of right backs. Yeah. Right backs that can play passes and are good defenders and good one. You know, just all these things that I think that they could probably benefit from. Probably very few players have went up to Joe and asked him about how do you think I could get better. What what did you do? You know, really picky. Few players do that. Very few. Wow. I'm constantly asking yeah. things. Just you know about small details. Not just what's Mourinho like, but yeah. what's Mourinho like when this happens? What, yeah. what would you do, Joe, when you this? What did you do when you came up against the best left-back, right-back? You know, he's got so much to offer. Mm-hmm. Marcel Schaefer has played for German national team. These guys should try and think, what can I do to maybe get to the MLS? Yeah. Or, that's probably where they miss out. I remember watching, not that I'm 60-odd, I remember watching, I was the same age as Joe Cole when he was in the Northern Ireland Youth Tournament, Milk Cup, right, yeah. and everyone was talking about him. Yeah. Joe Cole this, Joe Cole that. This guy's going to be amazing. And now, like, I ain't kicked the ball in 15 years, Joe Cole's still playing. Uh, what's he got, a- apart from, obviously, the talent? Loves football. Go back to, it goes back to his motivation. Joe has won FA Cups, Premier Leagues, Champions League finals. He's desperate for us to win something next year. Desperate. He wants to finish clear winning something. Is that that, that tells you? Everything. He loves football. Just interrupt you there. Sorry. He's 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 for, again biased, framed, whatever you want to call it, as a as an English ten. You know the the flair, the, the a rare flair player for England. But you're saying that his competitiveness. Is right up there because we see American players. Like, I want to win. I want to win. But he last year, right, Joe would admit there was games where, because of the travelling and everything, it was hard for him to beat his very best in terms of like chopping people and he's can turn on a sixpence. But Joe, when we missed Joe sometimes last year when he didn't play, it wasn't his creativity. Although we missed that, it was his organisation and his willingness to do the dirty things. Mm. No, no. So he's he's adapted his game. But again, he knows what it takes to win games. So if it means we're winning a lot, ten minutes to go, times Joe's dead on his feet. But we need him on the field because he'll fill in slots in the field that a younger player would come on and they'd be turning around. Where Joe wouldn't do that because he knows what it takes to win the game, see it out. So these, these again are things that people just don't 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 realise. But yeah, doesn't get anywhere near the credit he deserves in his career. First of all, for the longevity of his career. But also then for having the, the moves that he's made, the players, the places that he's played, has shown that he's open to change. He's open to go take risks. He doesn't get anywhere near that. He's he's, he's kind of I wouldn't say forgot about it because he's back home and he's doing the telly a lot and he's he still people value his opinion. But you know he talks about his time at Lille, played with at Hazard yeah. and other players, and he played all the time and he played alongside these guys. So he's standing amongst people that know him. Mm-hmm. It's, it's huge, but certainly on the outside. Um, yeah, he should, he should be given more credit, more credit for, for the person he is, not, yeah. just a, not just a player. Good lad. He's great lad, great guy, and he's got time for everyone. I've heard stories about some you know, DPs in MLS, and they're not always the most gracious, and they're not always the most helpful to the younger players. We couldn't say that about Joe, his impact at the rounds has been big. And, um, it's been, it's been really good for the organisation and, and the staff, staff around it. So, 
that's that, that's you know big big kudos to him. Freddie Adu, he's not there anymore, is he? Um, different development story at all. Um, similar to him and Joe would be like almost at one stage they would have been. I don't know if it was at the same time, but same kind of aspirations. Um, different. What, what what would separate them? I think with Freddie, we're going back to what we started with. Too much, too young. Yeah. Too much, far too young. And again, he burst on the scene at a time when the MLS wasn't wasn't what it is now. Would Freddie have done that now? Probably not. He'd probably have been helped out a lot more. But as when you speak to Freddie and some of the things that he went through, just just far too much, too young, and ended up making probably bad choices along his way in his career, going places that he probably shouldn't yeah. have done instead of focusing. I read a tweet yesterday from him actually that he's going to come back and go somewhere to play. So, you know, wish him all the best. Um, strange Freddie, when I came, a million people asked me, what oh, Freddie do is there? He's actually not played an awful lot of games in his career. Very few. I think it might be under 100, possibly, definitely under 200. You're joking. Yeah. From injuries? No, just from bad career choices, not playing, possibly injuries in there, but wow. not played a lot, not That's played cool. a lot of football. So for someone to have such a big name and probably made so much money in the game, he's not actually played an awful lot. So um, again, probably a lot to lot to learn from that. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about you as a coach. <laughs> Next stage, you're you're doing obviously the the smart thing. That's you're transitioning when you're playing, and like I'm, I'm big on the minute with, with the the mentor the mentee coaches about shaping your philosophy and what what where you get that from. Because you've come from, you're, you're in an era that's we're making the game really complicated. But you played for great communicators and people who simplified it. Where do you see yourself in that? Philosophy is a you know, it's a, buzz, it's a buzzword right now, and I can see why because you've got Guardiola, his philosophy is so so strong, the identity is so strong. Playing against Swansea team, its identity and philosophy is so strong. I see myself um, very much dependent on, I think philosophy can be implemented in a lot of places, but I do think clubs change, you know, for example in England, Sheffield United or Leeds United, it's very specific culture around those clubs and the fans and we mentioned previously about Sunderland, you need to think long and hard about the philosophy of that club and the tradition of that club before just trying to take your own and shove that down their throats, because the patience there might not be the patience of a Swansea because of Sunderland come from a different so I think that is really important and I've I think I've learned that so I think the game is very simple in terms of as a player I think you want simple instructions and I think you can still play a really really exciting brand of football um, without overcomplicating it for example if you want to play you really give the players the risk well, take the risk away because a lot of managers want you to play but, don't, but, but want you to play like oh but yeah that's risky so don't play there well don't play at the back. How can we really play? So that's where Brendan Rodgers, I think, has had so much success is that now and again his centre backs will be caught in the ball. It doesn't ask them to dribble on the six yard box, but now and again they get caught. He's always very supportive of that. So I think whatever I do, I'll try and be 100% behind it and be behind the players. And we say it's never going to be perfect. Um, so again, I'll wait and see and see how that develops. Yeah. But I've got, I've got a lot of things that it's hard to just pinpoint. I forgot you played for Neil Warnock. Yeah. Won't go, I won't go too much into that. <laughs> but yeah, so you've got Mick McCarthy, Neil Warnock, Roy Keane. You, 
probably a top three of all time in players that with a with a reputation for saying as it is. Let's talk about honesty then, because now you're in an era and you're you're in a an American culture where that's not always a great thing. Um, where do you stand with the, with the you know critical feedback piece? Yeah, it's and I, you know some players that have played with me will tell me I can be very blunt. It's something that I've had to try to curb. Yeah. Um, so I think yes, now you've got to be so careful. You can't just tell someone straight that the way you want used to do was could be brutal. But Bet there were some stories some, there. Some it? fantastic stories. Just yeah. just just straight to the point. Mm. No mess. Just straight to the point. Don't pass the ball to Monty. <laughs> he used to get it back and give it to someone. Now you think how Monty felt, but, but actually Monty loved Nick Montgomery, loved playing Warnock, and Warnock loved Monty, but it was a way of, it was a, it was a very clever way of explaining how he wanted Monty to play, without doing 10 coaching sessions, go and tackle and pass it, simple, don't come to the ball, look for it, so simple for Monty. Now, Monty was a strong character and a really, really good leader, so Monty accepted that and did it. Now someone would moan about that, mm. so you wouldn't be able to do it that. So the, the, I suppose the, the job is putting that over in a way. I think if you're really, really upbeat with people, show confidence in them and show belief in them, then if you've got something to say to them, you can say it from a good place. Mm. You can say it from a place where they know that you believe in them, and if you're saying it, you really mean it. Whereas if you just say it all the time, upfront stuff, and never give them any positive feedback, ever show belief or trust in them, then they'll, yeah. I wouldn't like that, I'm sure players don't. You, you know, it's, it's fascinating to listen to your, your views on the game, you sound as if you're, you're a real, you're still a fan, you're a student of it, etc, etc. In your, in looking for those, like, in your looking for information and drawing it from people that you've played with, etc, who do you wish you played for? Or under Alex Ferguson. Yeah, Alex Ferguson. It's, it's probably not um, outside the box, but I just feel that, and you're the same. I know that anyone that, that anyone that you come across that's worked with him, I just want to hear something. Mm. Just give me something that he's done, just to, 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 to find out about the magic that he obviously mm -hmm. had. So definitely Alex Ferguson. I would have, I would have loved to play under him. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Unless he's not going to take the rowdies next year. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what um? Yeah. So when you when you see yourself, I mean, it's I, I I didn't know you were working at a high school team, and I find that unbelievable that we're talking. Like you read newspapers, and people think that that paying your way now is going to work in a nice academy and spending time there, and you're actually putting. What area of the game do you want to improve at? Is it youth development? Is it working with difficult people? Or is there is there a certain stage you're looking at? I think the biggest thing for me, and because uh, I've not quite decided what, what path I'll take, yeah. um, I love I've, I just ran a winter camp there for six to eight year olds, nine to eleven year olds, and I love it. It's hard work because I love it because I love seeing these kids. This is a, such an important part of their development, and I remember it myself, so I love that. I love the age group where you're trying to start to, you know, you're 14 to 18, you're really starting to get into the positional side of the game. So I know as a coach that I'm back to where I was as a player at 17, just learning, making mistakes, putting on sessions that don't work, yeah. realising why it didn't work, putting on sessions that are good and thinking, right, I was good at that. Yeah. So again, just finding my strengths and weaknesses and uh, the guy that I'm coaching with at the high school, he um, he's 16 year old and he's been a big, big coach in Tampa for a long, long time. 
and he's a guy that really talks himself down but should be I can't understand why he is when he is in the game because I think his knowledge and the way he is with kids and players is phenomenal but again he's having an impact on so many people but should be helping the American game at a higher level in terms of creating change but again because he's not big flash Harry yeah. maybe it doesn't happen so there's so many good people out there yeah. um, I'm open to that and these people help me and hopefully I can help them as well Where do you draw your um Inspiration slash information. Do you, are you a reader? Are you a YouTube man? What do you What do you draw most of? Uh, got, I've got to suppose now beyond social media, but and I obviously pick things up, pick things up from myself from all all of it. Read it, reading. I've always read, always always read books. Um, used to come on holiday to Florida and always buy American coaches books, people like Lou Holtz and um, Jackson, Phil Jackson, people like that. And, Obviously, you've got books back home. So just all these, all these things constantly. I'm reading one right now. But is it Bobby Knight? Basketball yeah, yeah. That, so There's the, the Neil Warnock of America. Neil Warnock yeah. of America sounds like <laughs> it. Yeah. So all these things always just. Um, yeah, I love, I love to read these things because I think all these people that have been successful have got something. Yeah. Might not be what you, what you want to do, but yeah. can't take that away from The, the blog piece. Your blog's magnificent. Oh, thanks. Is it something that are you? Were you always a writer? Is it coming off inspiration from the books? Is it is it written? In, is it you get excited about? What's the kind of source behind it? Definitely from my reading. There's a certain type of book that I used to really love, and it was wasn't maybe the high profile bestseller, although like Roy Keane's book was always fantastic. It was the one that gave you the real insight into what it was really like. What it was really like for Steve Claridge was a good example. His yeah. book was fantastic. So, Cascarinos were Tony exactly, Cascarino. exactly. Yeah. things like that Niall Quinn mm. you know so people that are they are superstars but not it's not like Wayne Rooney yeah. so it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the behind the scenes and I always thought that I could having read I always thought I'd like to try that to give people insight or a balanced view on something so the feedback's been great particularly from professionals that I've played with and people that I haven't played with mm-hmm. so they're the people that probably can appreciate it yeah. so that, that, that's been good and it wasn't done for any um, personal gain as such, just to, to give me something to do and yeah. these long road trips and um, the feedback's been good and it's built up my social media profile probably. Yeah. What um parent seen the, the clip of your little boy, that's <laughs> absolutely brilliant. I've watched it about ten times. Um I mean my my little boy's too and he's he's no interest in the like Whatever he's gonna he's gonna take his mum's interest in football, which is zero. But is your kid obviously looks as if he lives and breathes it? Is it is there something? I mean, what's the balance there where you're like, yeah? The, do you see the American youth culture at that age being like, this is great, or do you look at it and go, you're gonna be you're gonna be spoiled here? That's a that's a really good point. A really good point. Again, discussing this with someone earlier. Living in Florida, don't worry, he's gonna be soft in terms of he's got the best facilities, he's out playing, he gets these kits from his local club team, he's, you know, he's six, he's playing in 3v3s, 4v4s games, they get trophies, it's, it's great, absolutely great. No, it, I'm not concerned because I think it comes from the parents in a way that you, after games, and you deal with them and the ups and downs and the way that you, you bring them up, I'm sure you'll probably feel the same with your own son and that. It's how, how you can still live in that environment and, have a, have a strong mentality and a strong personality and 
you can see it, the video is funny because you know what Twitter's like, you get comments, yeah, yeah. You get comments about what a spoiled brat and I was like, <laughs> I know, I know Patrick and um, he's, his desire to win is ridiculous, I have to kind of tell him, like that's why I did that, it's something I'm sure that you don't win yeah. and then um, he never cries like that when he plays with his friends which is, which is great, he only does yeah. when I beat him and I see him playing these games and his team's winning 6-4 and he's shouting out, 6-4, it's 6-4 I'm like Patrick, like forget the score and I don't, I'm not one of these parents that thinks that the scores are relevant because I think as you go on I think winning a game is good for the kids the kids want to win but I don't want them to put too much emphasis on it you know because he's only six so yeah look people are who they are aren't yeah. they? You, can't, you can't instill certain things but um, I, I'm, I'm very positive I think he's going to have a better environment growing up in terms of being able to play down the field play with his friends you know just out playing than he would probably back home probably because of the weather and because of the facilities. Yeah. I live in a side goal nets at our local park. No one whips the nets away. Yeah. You know, yeah, like they yeah, used to back, yeah. back home. A net would last a day and then someone would have it, have it <laughs> taken, so, so it's good. Uh, your dad, I'm guessing, my, my dad had a massive, still does have a massive influence on me. Um, and that's where the, the kind of awareness of the parent piece because I, I still love every part of football and I think. Well, what did he do at that? How did he instill it? It was almost an indirect, indirect way. He was never pushed. He never did anything aggressively about, like, talked about. Was what was just see him different? Opposite. Opposite. No, 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 you know what? Me and my dad are, are best friends. I speak to my dad pretty much every day. He'd be the first point I call, along with my wife, and about if I needed to discuss something. Um, real football, proper football man. And then um, I think you maybe read my piece parent trap about pushy parents and my dad could at times be very demanding but and this is where I always find trouble because I don't think I would have played at the level I played if my dad had been that because I think I would have came off from games thinking I did alright and I hadn't really done alright or I could have done better and because um, I think as a kid people say try your best I try my best but it's that old one put your hand up as high as you can okay now two inches higher but I should put up as high as you can. So you didn't put it as high as you really could. So that adage, I think, and the biggest thing about my dad as well is he had the most belief in me, more than anyone. So at times when I got knockbacks, he was there to really make me feel that I could I could do it. So that's probably where that um, belief in myself came from my dad, but also the demand. So I hear it a lot and about parents not doing this and not doing that. And I always think, well, it's a, it's a party line to say that, the politically correct thing to say. But if you asked Andre Agassi, would you have won all these Wimbledon titles if your dad hadn't pushed you? I don't think he probably would. Tiger Woods. So why do we not look at these? And yes, we don't want parents shouting out the side when you've been told them to pass it, kick it along. Yes. You know, but parents have such a big role to play. Definitely. Well, this is great because I can now blame my dad for for me not becoming a Premiership footballer. <laughs> this is brilliant. I, I thought it was just my ability, but it, he he didn't push me enough. Um, but seriously, there's um the one thing just in, in commenting on that is that uh, aggravates me is people that say, well, Johnny didn't go to practice or Susie didn't go to practice because they didn't want to do it, and I think. That's that's an awful thing. It's it's laziness from parents, and I think from from a, like if I was to change something in America now, just if I, if I won the lottery or if I was bored tomorrow, 
I would take a club, right? Yes. I would do your prior. I'd keep everything the same. And when parents arrive, instead of sitting watching games or sitting watching training, they have to run around the facility and get physically fit and be active and take a vow and actually grow with it's in the world. It's not a, that's not a bad idea. At least do something. Do something for you. You know, I, I can uh, completely relate to that. And I think, going back to your point about Johnny doesn't want to go, I think if 10 weeks in a row Johnny doesn't want to go, then you're like, okay, he doesn't want to go. And if he goes and just stands there, that's fine. Yeah. But there is days where, look, you're committed to this. Yeah. And you need to give it, you need to see it out. You need to see out the season or you need to see out the thing because. I do look back and I think from the ages of 1 to 18 and probably older, you don't really know what you want. Uh-huh. You sometimes don't know what's best. If Johnny didn't want to go to school, you <laughs> wouldn't exactly. be like, that's fine, you don't need to learn that exactly. reading today. Yeah. Exactly, great point, great point. And um, I was again where like, my dad would, would say to me, you know, you need to go fit, you need to be as fit as you can possibly be. I wouldn't have known that. Mm-hmm. I would have thought I'm quite fit. Your dad fit? You know, my dad, my dad was, my dad played professional football for a very short period of time, right. and then went to, then went to like semi-professional because he, he, he was a chartered accountant and he, and he went that way. And I think he felt that if he had a, a father, because he didn't have a dad, he, he passed away young. If he had someone that could have guided him, he would have been able to, to go and do that. Because I think that's the fine line sometimes. Someone to give you the guidance. It might not be a dad or a mum. It might be a coach. If someone doesn't just get a hold of you and give you, look, you've got, you're good enough, but you need to maybe go in the gym and bulk up, or you need to work on your speed. If someone doesn't do that, I think it takes a very, very special person to know that themselves yeah, when you're young. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. All right, last two questions. Okay. What have you seen here that's impressed you? Um, who have you seen that's impressed so you? I seen the uh, Raymond Verheyen yesterday, who I've been hearing all sorts of things, good and bad. Yeah. Went to see him. He impressed me in his belief in the way he, mm. he does things. Um, but again, I think like anything, I think it's a, I think in football it's a big balance to be had. Mm-hmm. A lot of people sell their thing, which is one specific thing, which is great. But I, I believe in a balance. Yeah. So he was good, and he was good in a way, and it was good to see. Um, and then uh, I seen Dan Abrahams in the morning, who I worked with. Oh, did you with Dan? Yeah. So I worked with Dan as a, as a professional and seen him yesterday and he was fantastic. Yeah. Simple, good, and again, as a player, he can help players by being simple, simplifying everything, thinking about two, a couple of things. So that was great. I'm looking forward today to seeing, um, I think, Bill Bezik. Might have missed him, I'm not sure, but mm. there's always, always things to see. All right, last one. Best player played against? Oh. Right, this is... Um, I'd love to be able to give like a Ronaldo or Messi, but not put against them, but Roy Keane, right? One day in training, Friday, we're a man shot. And Roy Keane had never joined in apart from in the boxes. And in the boxes his passing was amazing. Never gave it away. Just but he'd, he'd fire passes at you hard, had to deal with that's what it was like at Manchester United. So he's taking his jacket off and joined in. Well his team won 3 0 and Roy Keane scored three. And you were just like it was almost embarrassing in a way because you think he should be playing for us tomorrow because he was still quite young now I know it was training but he was just and people don't see Roy Keane as a goal scorer but he didn't play up front he played midfield but just pass, pass, pass drive forward, score he was just a class apart and I know it was in training and it's the best player played against but just again just Roy Keane just fantastic a lot of the best players I 
lot of the hardest games I've always had was not against big names. It was against like, maybe a League Cup tie some night or a young lad. Playing against Dave Kitson was a young lad. Really, really tough. He just gave me a hard night. Against the big names, I always tended to you'd raise your game and do all right. Did you ever play against Bergkamp? No. No. no did, you ever, did you ever play Zola? Did you ever play against a, a, like a little 10? That... Um, someone that not as not as high profile as that. Not, not nowhere near as high profile as that. Well, high profile. Paul Merson one day yeah. at Walsall just ran the show for 45 minutes. In the 10. Outside of the right bit. Every pass was outside of the bit. And he just couldn't get close to him. He was just... You just see why he was Paul Merson that played with Arsenal and that, just fantastic players, the space was always there. So people like that, Dwight York, when he came to Sunderland as well, wasn't the player he was at Manchester United, but just still see, you just still see the touches of class. Limited with nightclub options in Sunderland, was he, when I don't play? So one morning we were warming up and uh, I said, oh, what was it like in Sydney, Yorkie, was it good? Sydney, fantastic place, city amazing, they had a, had a penthouse flat. Right over the Sydney Harbour, amazing. Just um, got my white Lamborghini delivered. Amazing. Actually, I don't know why I came back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, class, class, what a guy. Brilliant. Brilliant. Nate, thanks so much for joining. I'll let you get back to the Thank convention, you. but really appreciate We'll talk soon. Yeah, great. Top man. Thanks so much to Neil for his time and his energy there. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, the big takeaway for me was what kind of blew me away. I I have followed Neil for a while and always enjoyed his writing and, and his career path. And it's always great to hear about the stories of playing for certain managers, Keane, McCarthy, with certain players, the, the Joe Cole, the mentality of those players. I always love that type of insight. But the biggest takeaway for me was that piece on the high, how he views high school soccer and how he views high school coaches and we're just we're just so far away from having that level of an open mind I think in the coaching community that we can go into an environment that is maybe not at the level we're working at and take something from it and how he views those players and the things that he wants to those players to take on I think is so valuable so great stuff from Neil like I said follow his blog and and his his pathway on Twitter he's he, he just views the game in a different way and I think we can all learn from each other but we can definitely learn from someone that is questioning a lot of things and is is pointing us to, to look a little bit deeper and Neil is definitely doing that so thanks so much to Neil hope you enjoyed the podcast thanks for staying with us um, please give us a shout out on Twitter give it a like on the ratings best of luck this week enjoy your experiences with your team talk to you soon bye Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kerneen on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.